Oh, that was so good. That was so good. Thank you, praise team. Thank you uh, for leading us. Darrell, well, you know, if you could have just seen Darrell a couple years ago before I started working with him, <laughs> to really appreciate how the talent that God has given him. Oh, it's good to see you this morning. I've been looking forward to being with you uh, today. And if you will, take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 139. And uh, just what uh, Darrell and the team led us in focusing in on that, uh, expressing what we just expressed in song is based on and is replicating what David expressed in this particular psalm. Psalm 139. It's one of my favorites, uh, as you can imagine. In fact, when Pastor Jarrett was, uh, was uh, sent out the word for some of the guys that are going to be rotating and preaching, and we got to choose our favorite psalm, and I just immediately, I didn't expect to be able to get it. I thought somebody else would take it, but fortunately I was able to get it because this is one of my favorite, favorite psalms uh, in, in the word. And in fact, I don't know about you, uh, but I tell you that there's times in my life when I might struggle and maybe come to those times, be spending time with God and not know what to say. Anyone ever uh, gotten into a situation like that before? Yeah. You're reading the Word, you're, you're, you're wanting to come before the Lord, and, but I, you, you, the words just don't come and being able to express what's in your heart. There are times literally that I've taken my Bible and turned to Psalm 139 and literally walked around in the room praying back to God his word here because in other words I was saying I can't express it any better than what David did right here Lord but this is what's from my heart because David expressed some amazing things some truths about God in that psalm and we're going to look at those here in just a moment there's about five things I kind of want to bring our attention to as we look through this psalm but this is, he, he, he was just pouring out his heart. It's one of the most transparent of all the Psalms in what, uh, what David was uh, in expressing. Now, we don't know what the exact occasion was and what brought about this Psalm, but we know that David uh, was not perfect, right? Uh, we know that Scripture tells us that he was a man after God's own heart, uh, but sometimes the way he lived and some of the decisions he made and some of the things that he did seemed like he was anything but, right? We, we know, for instance, that uh, you know, he wasn't the, the, the first one to come and get in line whenever Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. In fact, he goes one by one. He goes, well, it's not him. Well, no, it's not him. And well, it's not him either. Jesse, do you, is there anyone else? Well, yeah, there's David, but he's out in the field. You know, he's the youngest He's, he's the runt of the litter, so to speak. What, you know, we'll bring him here, and lo and behold, he's the next king of Israel. Because God had told him, don't look on the outside of man look, because God looks at the heart. And so here's this young man, the most unlikely to be chosen to become a mighty king and for his name to be recorded in all of history. But when he became that king, even he started out really well, but he, like being an, a human being, a flawed person, uh, he, he didn't do too well in the marriage arena. He didn't do real well in the moral purity area. He didn't do real well as a father either. Because we know that uh, you know, when Absalom, his son, wanted to lead a rebellion to unseat the king, 
And he was going to war with him, and, but yet he cried. He was praying for, for Absalom, to, to, to his life to be spared. And turned out when he got the news that, that Absalom had died, you know, he went out and he just cried to the top of his, uh, his lungs. Oh, Absalom, Absalom. You could hear the agony in his voice. But you know, Absalom, prior to that, had literally spent two years in the kingdom and never saw the face of his father. How does that happen? So he wasn't the best dad either. He, he was flawed in a lot of ways. But I think that man, because he, because, with God's help, he knew himself, and a lot of that is re, how that came about is right here in Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles now or your copy of God's Word, I want to pick it up in uh, beginning in verse 1. And the first thing I want us to see about God is that, that, or that David saw about God is that God knew everything about him. Nothing was hidden. God knew everything about him. And that's what you and I, as we look now to, to David's words and in, in God's word, we, we can know that God knows everything about us. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. Nothing is hidden from his sight. We see there beginning in verse 1, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The modern vernacular of those last few words right there would have been said, I can't get my head around it, Lord. You are so magnificent. You are so great. You are so mighty you are so wonderful in so many ways the fact that you would search me in order to know me and not only that i love the way he says in in there in verse five you hem me in behind and before you can almost get the pictures that wherever david goes god's right there and gently lays his hand on the small of his back that i'm right here i'm right here no, 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 you don't, no, don't, no, go, don't go over there. No, 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 okay, you're, let's come back over here and all. You feel this gentle nudging. You feel the, the gentle hand of an almighty God. He said, I can't get it. I can't get my head around that. And you know what? If you can get your head around that, something's wrong. You're not appreciating God for who he is because we cannot get our heads around that. How incredible God is. And the fact that he has searched you and he knows you. He knows everything about you. You know, there were times whenever, um, you know, when sometimes when we sin, you know, we, we kind of deep down we know God sees everything. And I don't know, but, but, but sometimes I guess it's human nature. We think, well, you know, since he already knows um, I'm going to let him cool off for a little bit before I go and start having any kind of you know repentance to hear now because you know I'm going to let him kind of get over it a little bit you know that's how sometimes you know when dad when I would do something wrong you know I would kind of want him to get over it eventually you know and only time would allow it you know but God sees everything you know and unlike us uh, but God sees everything we know you know what though sometimes 
Uh, even our parents, they do see things. We think we get away with stuff, but they see it. You know, students, if you think you get away with it, believe me, it's amazing how God can reveal it to parents. You know, I remember one time when uh, I was riding bikes with uh, uh, my friend and, uh, you know, we didn't want to go just to the places where our parents told us that we could ride our bikes safely and all that. We wanted to explore. We wanted to experience life, you know, and we were little, you know, we was young. I was probably about eight years old and all. And we were riding bikes and we decided, you know what, that road down there is a whole lot smoother and you can go faster and it'll be a whole lot more fun. You know, there's all kinds of cars on that, but we went down and we rode on that road one time and then... Uh, thought we got away with it and then came back and then I remember my dad came home from work and said hey Scott well actually he called me Scotty back then but no you don't call me Scotty but anyways he said uh, hey Scotty what'd you do today well I played with uh, Jeremy and we had a good time and then like oh okay great great what else what all did you do and I said well we just played we played armies or whatever you know oh, okay good what else did you do oh we rode our bikes and oh did you have fun yeah it was fun oh yeah goes, where'd you ride oh we just rode around here you know just right here he goes really okay it's funny because, you know, I was driving at lunch and uh, I saw a kid that looked just like you. He had a bike just like your bike. I was in deep weeds and I knew it. And boy, he wore me out, you know, with that deal. Never did that again. God knew. I mean, my dad knew. He knew. But, you know, sometimes we wait for that. But that's not the way we treat with God. In fact, we need to run to God. At every moment, just like when Darrell had us, you know, whether it was a good time or it's been a good week or a bad week or a difficult week or whatever, it doesn't matter. You still say, Jesus, Jesus, we come to Jesus. But God knows everything about you. You know, we have a philosophy, uh, some things in our world today that is completely based on lies, but it just sounds good. You know, you hear people say, you know, uh, follow your heart, follow your heart. You got to follow your heart. You know, what do you want to do for a career? Follow your heart your passion, whatever. That's the last thing that you want to do is follow your heart. Because what? The scripture tells us, Jeremiah told us in, seven, in Jeremiah 17, that the heart is deceitful. Who can know it when we're left to our own devices? And what Jesus, he also backed that up because he also said in Mark chapter 7, he said that all kinds of evil stuff come out of the hearts. Yeah, you don't want to follow your heart. You want to follow Christ. And seek his face and his righteousness. The other thing we hear sometimes here is, you know, well, you got to live your truth. you got to live your truth. Because your truth may not be my truth. And my truth may not be your truth. You know, that sounds a whole lot like uh, Judges when it said that in that day there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their, what? Own eyes. That's the world we live in. Everyone does right. No. It is best to seek the one who knows everything. He, his wisdom is incomparable. In fact, James tells us that, that when you lack wisdom, where do we go? We go to him. Why? Because he gives wisdom abundantly. He's the one that we seek. That's when Jesus said, in fact, we were talking about anxiety a little bit earlier. That you go to Matthew chapter 6, the whole chapter is on anxiety. Why did Jesus talk about anxiety? Anyone want to take a guess? 
Because he knew that's something we would deal with, right? Anxiety. And here's the thing. In our world today, the moment that we have anxiety or the moment we have anything that's uncomfortable, we want to immediately get rid of it. We immediately want to go get a pill or we want to go talk to somebody or whatever because, my goodness, how do I get rid of this, this anxiety? You know, a little anxiety is sometimes kind of good for you. You know, in fact, there are some things that come up in this life and the struggles and the difficulties that we have in this life that if you didn't feel a little anxious at times, I'd be more worried about you. But what did Jesus say? He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about, you know, your future. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. He even said, because today has enough, what? Concerns of its own. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to, once you get saved, I'll take away all your cares and concerns. He never said that. He said, don't quit worrying about tomorrow. There'll be enough concerns that will come along then. You worry about today. Today has enough concerns. But then what was his remedy for that? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, and all the other things will fall into place when you seek him above all. Why? Because God knows everything about you. Secondly, I think David said that God was always with him, and he acknowledged this. And this is what we can know, that God is with you. God is with you. Verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me as, uh, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He's always with you Now, talking about this psalm and talking about the goodness of God, the love of God, the fact that he seeks you and he's the pursuer of us, that in no way compromises the, just, the fact that God is just and righteous and holy. And in fact, we can be enemies of his. Romans chapter 5 told us that. That we, when, before we come to Christ and before we're reconciled with God, we're considered enemies of God. You say, well, I never, I never hated God even before I knew him. I never, I've never been against God. No. But without a relationship with Christ, without the surrendered life, when, it, when you are living a self-oriented life or you're in charge, you are an enemy to God because you're basically saying to God, I've got this. And I know what you did on the cross. Thank you. But I've got this. And you're working against him. But when we're reconciled to God, it's altogether different. And look what he says. He says, and God is always with you. Now, a few weeks ago, you remember hearing that tragic story, and it was, you know, every day we were getting an update about those people that went down in the submarine to go see the Titanic and how tragic that was. Frightening! Frightening. Now, I don't know if any of them even knew the Lord. And that's even more tragic. But let me tell you, when they went to the depths of the sea, two and a half miles down there, you know, when they take you down in that, uh, little, that little sub, you're descending in complete darkness until you get even with the Titanic, and then they flip on the lights, and that's when you're able to observe the wreckage. But the whole journey down there is pitch black because there's nothing to see. There's no light down there. But God's there. Whether or not they knew 
God, through Jesus, he was right there the whole time. Because there's nowhere you can go where he's not there. You know, and, and space, you've seen that sometimes when we get those pictures from space and you see that astronaut that's going out from the shuttle or the space station, whatever, and they're not tethered to it anymore. I watch that and I go, oh, no way would I ever do that. And all. I am so grateful for all the, 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 the discoveries that we've made through, uh, because of our, our endeavor into space. But I'm good right here. I don't need to go up there. I'm glad there's people who do. But you know, I, this feels the best to me right here. And I don't want to go see the Titanic. Thank you for the pictures that you send up so I can look at those and all. But I have no desire whatsoever to go to the depths of the sea or into space. Even though I know God's there, He knows I'm here and that's where I want to stay. But He's always with you, no matter what. Deuteronomy 31.8, my favorite life verse that came to my heart several years ago. It is the Lord who goes before you. He is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Right when they were about to go into the promised land, Moses was reminding them, the second law, Deuteronomy, second law is reminding them, reminding them of the truth about God. That God, wherever they went, God is already there. Wherever you go, God is already there. Now, that's a sobering thought right there. You go to the place in uncertainty and you're not sure and you're afraid, God is already there. He's not catching up to you. Where did you go? Where did you go? Hey, where did they? I, I just had my eyes on them just right here. They're not like sometimes parents were with us in the stores, you know, whenever we would go off like that. God always knows. In fact, wherever we go, He's already there and He's waiting. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. It works the other way, too. If we're going into places of sin and we want to go into sin, guess what? We're going to walk in that place and God's going to say, what are you doing here? Because he's already there. He knows everything. Right? Never leaves us nor forsakes us. Matthew 28. So that was Old Testament. Then Jesus, he backed it up by also saying in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And what? And lo, I'm always with you, or I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm always with you. But he didn't just leave it like that. And this is what's so unique about our God. That's what's so unique about Jesus than any other world religion. There's no comparison. Every other religion is about man trying to get to God. Christianity and faith in Jesus is where God came to man. And then Jesus, whenever he was going to go, he was going to send back to the Father, he told the disciples, he said, now look, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. Don't panic. He said, it's actually going to be better for you that if I go back to the Father. I could just imagine Peter saying, oh yeah, sure, yeah, that's going to be really good for us. Yeah, you know, trust me, it's going to be better. Why? Because he said in John chapter 14, verse 17, because when I send a helper and he will be with you and he will be in you. And that's the, the uniqueness about the relationship with God through Christ is that he takes up residency in our hearts. I don't know how he does that. I don't know how the God of the universe can take up residency in a human heart, but he does. Because the word of God tells us there. He's always with you. Thirdly, David noticed that God took great care in creating him. God took great care in creating you. Look at verses 13 through 16. 
For you formed my inward parts. You, knit me, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. So he, he and then he goes on, he says, and in your book were written every one of them that now it's kind of tricky language here, but think about it, follow it here. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before I even took a breath, you were there. He said, you, you made me with great care and intricacy. Now, David, this ancient man, had never looked through an electron microscope. He had never seen a DNA molecule. He had never seen a human cell. And yet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, used words like, knit me together, weave me together, formed me, made me. I mean, why didn't he just say, when you slap me together in my mother's womb? No, that's not what God did. He's the creator. He's the artist. And he knit him together. He knit you. He knit me. He knit all of us together in our mother's womb. Listen, Job, ancient man, probably the earliest book that we have, 1500 or so B.C. Job said in chapter 10, verse 11, You clothed me with, with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. He also had never seen a cell. And he was just a man. God called him when he said to, to Satan, have you considered my, my servant Job? I don't know about you. I never want God to, to ever you know, look at Satan and say, hey, have you ever considered my uh, servant Scott? I'm, I'm going to say, you know, no, don't bring any attention to me through the evil one. But Job was such a righteous man. God said, hey, have you considered Job? He was a man. But God said he was a servant. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then we see right here where King David said, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So right here, in these, just these examples, we had a man, also referred to a servant, a man, a prophet, and a king. Guess what? We're all included in that. We're all included in that. God was giving an example. One was a servant, one was just a, a man, one was a prophet, and one was a king. But they were all created with great care on God's part. Listen, folks, as believers, as Christians, we've got to get our act together, and we've got to come to grips, and we've got to have an honest, honest view of humanity as given to us in God's Word. Not what the world tells us, but in God's word. Because what this tells me is that every, every life in the womb is created in God's image. Regardless of what the circumstances that were that brought that about and how it led up to that, once conception takes place, that is God's work and, he is, and everyone is created. We are image bearers of God. We have to get settled on that issue. Listen, 
You want to be pro-choice? Great. you got all kinds of choices before you come up to that one point. But once that point, once that conception takes place, that's a person that is created in the image of God. If you have a cheap view of life on that end, you're also going to have a cheap view of life on the other end as well. And that's why we got laws in Canada and several of our states right here where we have physician-assisted suicide. And you think that they're just going to come to the ones that make their own decision. It, it, a recent article that I read where they saw in, in Canada that there were some uh, that were autistic and, or had deformities and they wanted to take their life and their life was ended. It's, it's a slippery, slippery slope. But for us, as we look here, Every person, you were created with purpose and with design. Regardless of how, what your life is or even what has happened in your life that maybe has been difficult, but you are an image bearer and you were created with great purpose and great care by the God of the universe. And don't deviate from that truth. Fourthly, David saw that God always had him on his mind. How about that? God always had him on his mind. Years ago, uh, there was a speaker, a man of God, a modern-day prophet. His name was Dave Busby. In fact, if you go and look on YouTube, you can even still find some of his, um, some of his, uh, uh, his talks and some of his preaching. Dave Busby. He passed away in 1997. At one time, he was the longest living American. I may have been in the world, but I'll say America. But he was the longest living American with cystic fibrosis. But Dave didn't just have cystic fibrosis. Earlier in his life, he had also had polio. He had liver disease. He had heart disease. And he also has, had diabetes. All of those things. Whenever Dave, I was fortunate enough because of my association with Champion Forest back in the 80s, I had an opportunity to meet Dave and to get to, get to know Dave to an extent. And whenever he would come speak, sometimes this man, he was influenced uh, Louis Giglio, if you have heard Louis Giglio's name. And then um, also um, uh, uh, Barry St. Clair and Neil McClendon, some of these, you know, he had great influence on a lot of communicators in this, uh, that, that we know today. But anyways, and, and church leaders, but... Uh, he would sit on the, in the chair and before he was about to speak, and before he got he'd be just kind of slumped in the chair. I mean, he had a withered leg. He was just, you know, he looked so weak. He was very, very thin, thin man, not very tall. And you kind of look at him like, man, he's not going to make it. He's not going to be able to speak tonight. And then all of a sudden, when it come time and he'd come up and step up on the stage, he almost didn't need a microphone. It was unbelievable. See, the problem is Dave said many times he'd wake up the next morning more tired than he was when he went to sleep because he'd be coughing all the way through the night, in fact, coughing up blood. But God anointed him and used him in the most amazing way. It was phenomenal. But I remember Dave said one time, I want to gaze at God and glance at my problems. What a heart. I want to gaze at God. Because we know that we're only made. We're like a vapor, as Scripture tells us. We're only here for a short time. You know, I've, I, I, I've, I've ne never met a 2,000-year-old Christian. So that tells me eventually all of us are going to go. But you know what? Even if I, need, if I meet someone who's 105, I know it's just around the corner. Because we're not designed to live here for, forever. It's just reality. 
But Dave had that idea. He said, man, I, I'm going to live eternally with you. I want to gaze at you. And I just want to glance at my problems. Yeah, okay, yeah, sometimes I'm coughing, sometimes I feel terrible. But I want to gaze at you. Oh, to have that attitude. Then many of our problems, I'm not saying all of them, but many of our problems will just immediately shrink compared to knowing him. And he said, I, I want to gaze at God and glance at my problems. But the one thing I remember hearing him talk one time on Psalm 139, and he was talking about how he was praying one time, and he was just in kind of a dark place, kind of, you know, he was down, he was just kind of overwhelmed. And he said, he, 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 said he, he sat in a chair, and he pulled an empty chair in front of him in his time with the Lord. Pulled up an empty chair, and he sat down, and he said, I imagine Jesus sitting in that chair. Knee to knee, face to face, eye to eye with me. He said, I imagine Jesus putting his hands on my shoulders and saying, Dave, I've been thinking of you all day long. Dave, in fact, I can't get you off of my mind. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God, verse 17. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. Oh, how it lights up your kids if you sit there and say, Hon, I've been thinking about you all day long. In fact, I can't get you off of my mind. When one says to a lover, I've been thinking about you all day long. I can't get you off my mind. Who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want to know that? And to have the God of the universe say to you, I've been thinking about you all day long. Right out of God's word. Well, how's that even possible? God? There's almost 8 billion people in the world. That, what, huh? He says, don't worry about that. Leave that up to me. I've been thinking about you all day long. I know every one of the hairs on your head. I got him numbered. I know every sparrow that falls because I'm God. You see, here's the thing real quickly. And I heard, actually, Louis Giglio say this one time and all. You know, sometimes people have a difficulty with dealing with, you know, God and the reality of God because, uh, you know, well, any kind of an arrogant, self-centered God that would insist that we worship him all the time. But if you're God... And you know everything, and no one's greater than you, and no one is more powerful than you, and you're the one that created everything that we see, you could do that. Worship me, relationship with me. Why? Because there's nowhere else to look. And I love you. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's one thing I want to say real quickly about going back to that verse right here where he says that in your book were written every one of them, the days that, formed, that were formed for me when as yet I had not lived one. It's important. You know what? Believing in the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of God is actually a very comforting and reassuring thing. You see, I believe that we can affect the quality of our lives to some extent. 
In other words, if you eat bluebell ice cream every night at 1030 for the rest of your life, you'll pay the price for that. <laughs> you'll be wheezing near the end of your life. You know, your arteries are all going to be clogged and you're going to feel like crud the whole time. You will not leave this earth one second before your appointed time based on God's word because he already knows how many days you have. But you'll be miserable going right up to your last minute. You can affect the quality of your life. You can't affect the quantity of days that God has given you. And you know what? That's reassuring. How is that? Because if you ever lost anyone, if you ever lost a loved one, and you know you deal and you dealing with grief, how many times have you heard, "Oh, if I just insisted they'd gone to the doctor one more time, maybe he'd still be here." Oh, if we had just tried that 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 one more treatment, maybe that would have worked and they'd still be here. Oh, if I would just insisted that they leave a little early if they just left 15 minutes earlier or 15 minutes later maybe that accident wouldn't have happened and they'd still be here oh if only i had friend when you realize that god knows exactly how many days we will have here on this earth that is actually a comforting thing because you no longer have to torment yourself with those kind of thoughts that is in god's hands and that is in god's realm and he has his thoughts for you. And the final thing is here. If you skip down to verse 23, 23 and 24, God wants your heart. Now, he has given you your talents. He's given you your, your, uh, your, um, uh, your giftedness and all that. He's given, it all started with him. He made you that way. But above all, he wants your heart. Look what David said in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Here's this imperfect man. He knows God knows everything about him. He searched his heart. He knows him. He's intimately acquainted with all of his ways. And yet he comes to the end. He says, now God, I want you to dig deep. My heart can deceive me. At times. And I can believe lies. But Lord, look deep. Search my heart. And whatever you show me, whatever you show me, I'll not defend myself. I'll not try to explain it away. I'll not, I'll not puff up and say, I, I don't want to do it. Whatever you show me that doesn't look like you, Lord, I ask you change me. You don't ever have to change. But change me. Change me. Have you given your heart to God? You say, well, how do you do that? You say, because he wants your heart. Initially, you, you have to humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner. Scripture tells us that. And to give, us, and to give God your heart is to say, Lord, will you forgive me of my sin? Scripture says... That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's Bible terminology. That's not preacher terminology. You shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. That's what giving your heart to God is. 
in just a moment, we'll have some prayer partners that will come down here front. And if you want to know more about what it means to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus, they'd love to be able to pray with you and talk with you about that. But here's the other thing. You know, once we've given our heart to Jesus, Scripture refers to us as, you know, that we are, we are living sacrifices. That we are living sacrifices. Well, the only problem with living sacrifices is that they have a tendency to crawl off the altar from time to time. So you may have given your heart to God, but you may still sometimes have that old stubbornness and say, you know, I've got this. Well, I think in this particular case, I want to do it my way. Then, yeah. friend, it's time to come back and do what David did. Search my heart, Lord, and I'll repent. And I'll return. Because, Lord, you forgive. If you confess your sins... He is faithful and, ju and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all, what? Unrighteousness. Let's stand together and our prayer partners, if you'll make your way up here to the front right now, whatever it is, maybe you just want to pray with someone. Scripture says to bear one another's burdens. It also says to come alongside one another. Maybe you just want to pray with someone. Maybe you want to know what it means to follow Jesus. You want clarification there. Whatever your need is, this is your time to come. Will you come? Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org slash connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.